CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, and the Chicago Reader. Ben, take it away. Miles Kampflasen joining us uh, from In These Times. Miles Kampflasen, the pride and joy of Whitney Young High School and of several rock bands. Huge Bulls fan. We're going to uh, really show discipline, Miles. We're not going to discuss our beloved Bulls, even though they were victorious last night, correct? We're not going to discuss them, right? Not a word. Okay. Love you, Zach Levine. Sorry. I just couldn't uh, resist that one. Uh, Miles... I told you this uh, before the show. I texted you before the show. It's like in these times week on the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, Mindy Iser, uh, a colleague of yours from in these times, was our guest over the weekend. She did a great job. It was her debut. Uh, she shamed me for shaming uh, Trump voters. It was a spirited conversation. And I'm definitely going to invite her back. Uh, and then Leonard Goodman, uh, another in these times contributor, was on. And uh, uh, he was ripping Democrats. Uh, Leonard is even to the left of me, which I didn't think was possible to find anybody to the left of me um and uh, now you uh coming on the show uh you're a writer for in these times and an editor i believe you're mindy's editor right sometimes you edit her copy uh you wrote a great essay column i call them columns i don't know what you call them uh for in these times how to avoid another monster like trump and that's the headline and it just sums everything up because on one hand you talk about the monster that trump is and was uh and then you talk about what the dems should do um uh, in the biden administration uh, to prevent another monster like trump from emerging so it's it's both things hello biden goodbye trump so before we get to the hello biden part of it why don't you talk about the goodbye trump part of it and your assessment four years later of Donald Trump's reign uh, as president. Sure. Well, uh, thank you very much for having me, as always, as my uh, first appearance on the Ben Jarofsky show this year. I uh, just want to start by wishing happy and safe 2021 to both you and Dr. D, a.k.a. D. Nice. as he's more commonly known now. Uh, You know, we made it through uh, the madness of 2020 and are still standing. So, you know, may the new year bring us all more joy and triumph on our journeys through the struggle. Um, So, yeah, I mean, this is uh, Donald Trump's last full day in office right now. Uh, We somehow have made it from, uh, you know, a very dark day in January of 2016. I was actually on the streets of Washington, D.C., protesting Donald Trump's inauguration four years ago. Uh, 17. 2017, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, he spoke of American carnage and uh, had a speech written by Steve Bannon, who I know you, you, you brought up earlier. Um, it was a really scary moment for me, not just because of the threat that Donald Trump posed to our country and our democracy, but also because 
there was an emerging consensus that Trump might be able to perform some kind of political realignment, right? By off by running on like a worker friendly agenda and investing in doing a big infrastructure bill. There was a huge case in Indiana where, you know, Trump said he stopped a company from moving overseas and was saving jobs. You know, it was a, it was a real concern that he might be able to pull off some type of actual um, political uh, strategy that hadn't been done before that would build him some majority support while also being a rabid, you know, racist and xenophobe anti-immigrant president. So, you know, now we see that four years later, he squandered that entirely, right? I mean, there was no real attempt to do such a realignment. And in fact, Trump just carried out mass death. I mean, this is the worst year in American history we just lived through, including the Civil War. I mean, America's been around since 1776, and we just lived through um, certainly the deadliest and darkest year um, in our country's history. And we all feel it. I mean, you're recording from your attic. We're all, you know, our lives have been upended. And it's not solely Donald Trump's fault, but it, it, look around the world. I mean, we are unique, the United States, not just in the death count, but in how much our lives have been completely um, transformed for the worst because of the pandemic. And it's because Donald Trump didn't care. You know, he never cared for about uh, governance or about, you know, how of the American people are doing. He only cared about the you know stock market and what people were saying about him, basically. I mean, it's real petty. I mean, he's always been a very petty dude, and that has become his politics. The thing he was effective at, though, was building a cult of personality, and we see that in the hordes of, uh, you know, uh, mobs that stormed the Capitol, that, you know, their one unifying political principle was undying loyalty to Donald Trump, the man. And we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, he's the one who said, I alone can fix it, right? I mean, that was his whole, uh, the, the running theme throughout his administration was all about him, which puts is why it's the, you know, the Republican party is in such a quandary now because they need to decide whether they're going to just, you know, shut him off essentially and say, we're not going to, you know, have this guy around anymore as a, as a, as a poll within our political uh, coalition and then lose all of his diehard supporters or, if they're going to just double down and say, you know, the Q people and the, you know, these anti-statist militia groups and the Proud Boys, they're the new face of the Republican Party. Um, so I think that Trump has really left the Republicans in uh, in shambles and with a real, you know, a potential civil war on their hands within the party. Um, and it's certainly incredibly dangerous for our country because of how much they're willing to move towards the latter and embrace the uh, lunatic fringe element. Um but I am not sorry to see him go. I think that's something probably a lot of your listeners can get on board with is, uh, thank God. No, more. Uh, no, I, except for an occasional troll, I do not believe there's any MAGA, uh, lovers, uh, that listen to the show. Uh, definitely not on a regular basis. Uh, when I was reading your essay, it occurred to me that every now and then a Donald Trump would what offer up something an idea that was vaguely progressive. Uh, And I always thought Donald Trump was sort of, you know, he had spent a lot of time listening to comics. And so he got a lot of his inspiration from sort of the stream of consciousness of comedians. And so he would go on a stream of consciousness thing. And every now and then, like he would, you know, he might take a swipe at a tax law that he knew from experience would benefit the well-to-do and they didn't need it. Uh, And like, I would hear that. I go, 
Is he ready to lead a charge against this tax law? No. Quickly. Uh, the most recent case, uh, Miles, was out of nowhere, Donald Trump, who hadn't been paying attention to any of the job aspects of being president, was only uh, paying attention to trying to undo the election that he lost, uh, said that the uh, $600 that Congress had decided people should get in this country uh, as a stimulus in the middle of the pandemic was not enough. It should be 2000. He either, he put it out in a tweet. He may have said it at a, at a moment and then he quickly dropped it. He didn't put the pressure on Mitch McConnell and the Republic. It, it passed in the house. Nancy Pelosi called his bluff and died in the Senate where the Republicans control it. And so it seems like he understood how, rigged the system is against people who aren't wealthy like him, but he wasn't going to do a damn thing to change it. No, I mean, I don't think that was, I don't think it was ever a question of even political will. I think there was just a complete lack of interest. I mean, you're, you know, he was just clinging for anything to, uh, you know, rail against the establishment on. And if it was $2,000 checks, so be it, you know, but there was no underlying kind of moral thread connecting any of these uh, you know, he, he, you know what he talked about a lot more than $2,000 checks was about water pressure and shower heads. I mean, that's been his like latest bet noir that he's going off about. I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that just goes to show the kind of manic nature of how he's approached, you know, policy questions. Um, and I think it's what's made, what has made him so toxic is because there's no, I mean, the constituency for him is his diehard supporters at this point. And the Republican Party has, you know, thrown their lot in with him. So, of course, there's plenty of just lifelong Republicans now that are, you know, Trumpists essentially for the, for the long haul. But he was never a great vehicle for the Republican Party besides doing their two major objectives, which were stacking the judiciary with right wing nominees, which certainly they succeeded at. I mean, it's that I think will be the, lo- the longest lasting legacy, certainly of the Trump era will be the um, all the right wing uh, judges we now have on the bench uh, at the federal level. And then also just, you know, helping corporate America. I mean, that's the constant, uh, uh, you know, goal of the Republican Party has been to be the party of corporate power. Now, Democrats have also <laughs> gotten in on that game as well. Uh, but what we've seen in the past week has been this huge uh, shift in which all these corporations have stopped, have, have turned off the valves. They don't want to be associated with, you know, a seditionist caucus. So they're no longer supporting these Republicans. And if anything, that's the motive factor for McConnell to try to, um, you know, stop that slide into just, you know, embracing the storm, the capital, stop the steal folks is because that's a path towards, you know, economic destitution for the Republican Party. And that's the only thing that McConnell cares about is power and maintaining his, you know, caucus. And right now that's being threatened precisely because of Donald Trump and his supporters and their actions. You know, uh, you raise a, a point that I want to ask you about in terms of what finally was the straw that broke the camel's back for corporate America, which was largely on the sidelines through the four or five years of Trump and his abominations. Uh, they didn't really take a stand once. And I, I actually, I've said this on the show a couple of times. So I'll say it to you. I watched that uh, 60 minutes interview with uh, Raffsberger, the secretary of state of Georgia. Uh, who Trump called up and tried to intimidate into finding the 11,000 votes he needed to reverse Georgia. And they made a point of saying, Miles, that Raffensperger is a lifelong Republican. 
He supported Trump in 2016. He voted for Trump in 2020. He wanted Trump to win. And this was like a shock. And I think of Raffensperger and I think of corporate America. And I'm like viewing it like, what was the shock about this in particular? How is this different than the way the man ruled for the last four or five years? What suddenly happened that the light went on? I've been struggling with this, Miles. Corporate America has turned against Donnie Trump. It's like that. It, they were something. What the insurrection embarrassed them? Is that it? They were they, they supported this guy. He was calling for this kind of violence. The carnage speech that you alluded to from 2017 was as nutsy as anything that he delivered uh, at the end. So really, was no Donald Trump was Donald Trump. He was consistent throughout. He supported uh, Nazis in Charlottesburg. Where was corporate America for? For where was the outrage of Raffersberger and corporate America and I don't know Nike? I don't know who who corporate America is when they say what changed? Like what was it, Miles? That suddenly got corporate America to to wake up? Well, I I can't speak for them because sadly they have not uh, welcomed me into their their ranks. Uh, <laughs> so I don't get I don't get invited to the, the the dinners and socials and everything. But what I would you know uh, what I would presume is for one thing he's out the door already, right? So there's way less legal there's way less of a you know potential uh, downside for them from cutting it off at this point. It's an opportunity, if anything, in order to try to get the more respectable elite rep- uh, oriented Republicans. Um, ahead of the pack, essentially, and to you know, calm, tamp down the, uh, the the Trump ones. But then also, it's a matter of. I mean, the Capitol was stormed. People, five people, at least five people died. There was certainly con- uh, Congre- members of Congress who had felt their lives were under threat. That's a pretty big, you know, motivating factor. I think that you're completely right that the horrors of Charlottesville are, you know, were equally sickening. But I think there is something different when people that are that close to the levers of power feel personally threatened. And they had, you know, they're the people that have the lines of communication to the corporate elite as well. So I think that there was a lot of, you know, signaling that happened there. And they just, a lot of these groups just decided to cut the cord and hey, this could have like long-term effects. Hallmark, which is one of the biggest employers, they're based in Kansas City, you know, one of the biggest employers in Missouri. They said they're not going to donate to uh, Josh Hawley anymore, who's, you know, their senator. That is a big deal and could have very long lasting effects because look, in two years, I certainly hope not, which is one of the reasons I wrote this article, but in two years, Republicans could take the House of Representatives, right? And Kevin McCarthy could be the Speaker of the House. How is he going to deal with the fact that this huge, you know, uh, pipeline of money is suddenly cut off? That is a, that I think is a motivating factor for them. And it's all the more reason that Democrats need to keep pushing to uh, excise this, you know, these types of uh, bad actors from the political arena. I think there's no other way to get out of this because they've shown, you know, a lot of these people have shown themselves, they potentially were giving tours the day before the insurrection to these MAGA people around, you know, showing them how to storm it essentially. So yeah, you can't be treat, they have bipartisanship with a political representative who wants you to be overthrown. I just don't see how that's, you know, that you, you can make that work. Uh, I'll, I'm going to go on a limb here. So, uh, I just took a note what you were saying about the 20. You're already looking ahead to uh, the next uh, congressional elections, 2022. Traditionally, the the party that's out of the White House does well in those midterm elections, as we've been led to believe over the last uh, 30 years or so. And that was definitely the case in 2010. 
where the Tea Party uh, had their first moment of glory when they ousted the Democrats from charge of the House, defeating Democrats across the board. I'm going to make a prediction, which I'm I'm almost like trying to stop myself from making because I hate it when I make predictions that are optimistic, uh, generally a pessimistic sort. Years of rooting for Chicago sports teams will do that to you. But I'm hoping at the very least that it's different this time around in terms of what will occur in the next two years, because I believe the Democrats have learned the the mistake they made in 2009. And uh, I actually just wrote about this for the reader. I've been thinking a lot about this. In 2009, there was just such this wave of jubilation at the election of Barack Obama. And uh, there was just outpouring of happiness uh, with that inauguration. I just was rethinking about it uh, and the parties that night. And I do believe the Democratic Party went to sleep. And I don't believe the Democratic Party, they, they just fell into total love with Barack Obama. It became a cult of Obama. And uh, the Democratic Party did not wake up until 2016 on Election Day when Donald Trump defeated Hillary Clinton. And Dems everywhere realized how precious and vulnerable this democracy is. Uh, and then we saw, of course, uh, the Women's March with the pussy hats in 2017 sort of signaled the the, uh, the fight back, the resistance, if you will, to uh, Donnie Trump. So I am hoping, Miles, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, that Dems, progressives, liberals, lefties, that whole coalition has learned a lesson from 2009. Uh, definitely Joe Biden is not the charismatic figure that Barack Obama is, so people will not be swooning over him the way, way they swooned over Barack Obama and still swoon over the guy. Uh, so that's my prediction. What's your reaction? I, I, I agree that that's going to um, be the test, is whether they can learn that lesson. Um, and I, I kind of agree with you that I think that the conventional wisdom has switched within democratic circles. It's moved essentially from that running up deficits and inflation led to Ronald Reagan and led to conservative dominance over our politics. And that was a fear, I think, that motivated democratic politicians and policymakers for decades, you know, since the Reagan era, essentially. And now we're finally, there's, there is kind of a realignment of thinking of conventional wisdom, which is that Barack Obama and the Democratic Party's hesitancy and, and action and um, the tepidness of their of their policies led to Donald Trump, and that that's what we have to uh, learn from and act in accordance with, right? In in order to not have the same result in another four years or even another two years, of which we we saw rightly in the you know the the Tea Party sweep in 2010 when the Democrats famously got shellacked, as as Barack Obama said you've got to do something different. You can't just, you know, uh, try the same reach across the aisle by partisanship and pass a stimulus, but don't take credit for anything. And, you know, there was so many uh, missteps, I think, that the Democratic Party made. And you just look at it. I mean, look at from this is a political question as much as it is a policy question. I mean, of course, I want to see people's lives get better because I have, you know, political convictions and everything myself. But um, 
I also, the way to do that is to have the Democrats not get decimated in future elections. And under Barack Obama, the Democratic Party lost over a thousand seats across the country, you know, state houses across the board. You can't have that and also enact anything close to a Biden agenda, right? So the only way to have any political um, success is to take the lesson that you just said and apply it to your politics. And the way to do that, I mean, I lay out some of this in the article, but is to embrace the things that have worked for the Democrats, right? John Ossoff ran for Senate a few years back and he lost Congress. Yeah. For, 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 yes, for, for, for Congress as a, uh, uh, for in a special election and he lost and he ran on what the Democrats had traditionally been running on under Trump is just a pretty mealy mouthed kind of centrist, agenda. Um, This time, it was very different. He ran saying, we're going to pass $2,000 checks. We're going to do big, bold policies. These GOP senators are hypocrites that are gaming the system. And, you know, they're rich. And we're going to look out for the poor and working class. And guess what? He won. So did Warnock. I think that's the lesson. Um, And that's in Georgia, right? So as much as people want to say, oh, only AOC can win in, you know, New York, whatever. um, It's a message. You don't have to necessarily have all the um, signals to progressive, you know, so democratic socialist aligned policies. We could still run on an agenda that's about helping working people and make that very clear in your messaging. And I think that both of the Georgia Senate candidates did that. And that's one of the things I hope Democrats learn from uh, going forward. Uh, all right. So what do you want to hear from Joe Biden? I mean, that's the second part of your article. Uh, the first part, of course, is the monster that is Donald Trump. And by the way, before we get to that, though, uh, I have to you mentioned Mitch McConnell. And right before you came on, there was a headline flashed across uh, my phone trying to keep up with the breaking news on this show. It's really hard to do. So much news is breaking. Um, that Mitch McConnell is signaling that he's actually going to, he may vote for impeachment. Uh, the headline passed really quickly. Uh, but clearly there's this, like you put it, uh, metaphorical civil war within the Republican party where Trump, the Trump lovers are the base. They're the voters, but the elected officials m- recognize they live in a real world where if you go too far, if you go where the Trump voters are, you're not going to win any statewide elections. You're not going to, you're really going to be handicapped. Uh, You can't get corporate money, as you said, et cetera, and so forth. So where do you think the Republicans will go with this? Will they vote for impeachment in your opinion when it comes to the Senate? I, I don't know. I can't, it's hard for me to, they need what, like 16 or 17 senators. 17. And, uh, that's hard. I mean, there's a few, obviously, I think like Murkowski and Romney and Susan Collins, maybe, and um, a few other uh, folks, Ben Sass and some of these other people will vote for conviction. But uh, getting to 17, I mean, McConnell will definitely have to support it for that to happen. Um, it's just a question of whether they want to rip off this Band-Aid now and say Trump can't run for office, federal office again, and we don't have this hanging over our heads as a party for the next four years, let alone, you know, into the future, um, or if we're going to continue to abide it as a party and just try to keep this coalition somehow together. Um, and 
I I don't know. I mean, I don't think that uh, it would be wise for them to let Trump off the hook on this, of course, because I think it's a huge threat to our democracy, let alone to, you know, their own self-interest as a political party. Um, But I also am not as I think that the Republican Mitch McConnell will, you know, has already plotting out a plan, I'm sure, of how he's going to obstruct Joe Biden at every step. And there's nothing that brings unity together in a political party like a common enemy. And I guarantee that day one, you're going to stop hearing all this stuff about the civil war in the Republican party. It'll still be happening, but they're going to project a unified opposition to Joe Biden and the Democrats. And I think that will do a lot of the work of kind of cohesing the party. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's, and so it's still hard for me to imagine them getting 17 Republican senators to vote against Trump when they've all gone along with his crazy stuff for, and most insane, dangerous claims he's made for all these years to now suddenly show a backbone would be a shock to me. But I mean, I, I think they should do it. And I think it would be in their, their own best interest to do it. But I, we'll, we'll, we'll see very soon. I, a headline is McConnell weighing impeachment says Capitol mob was provoked by Trump and they had, the mob was fed by lies. So, yeah, I think that uh, McConnell up to something. Uh, it, it would be a pretty uh, slick move on his part, uh, uh, Miles, if you followed your advice. Uh, you know, Mitch McConnell's big listener uh, to, of the show, especially when you come on. Because uh, well, you mentioned breaking news. I thought maybe the breaking news you were going to mention was that apparently on Donald Trump's long list of pardons, uh, it includes the Tiger King himself. And the Tiger King now has a limo waiting for him to take him <laughs> from jail. This is real. You made that up. It is true. I mean, I don't know if he's going to actually be pardoned, but he expects to be. And he has a limo waiting outside of the jail to take him to some press conference or something. So we might the Tiger King might be back. Wow. I mean, that was the other thing. I mean, that's a tangent within a tangent. But all the uh, don't let me forget the advice you're giving to Mitch McConnell, but all the pardons. I mean, I don't know when technically Donald Trump is no longer president. I don't know. Like, does it happen the moment that uh, Joe Biden is sworn in? I guess that's when it happens. So he could issue a pardon from uh, Mar-a-Lago tomorrow at four in the morning or something. I I, I don't know the the legalities of it. I keep thinking of like different people. Could be, I keep thinking that he's going to pardon Blago. You know, like he commuted the sentence. So Blago was let free. Okay, so now he's, uh, and uh, I saw Blago issued a statement yesterday praising Donald Trump effusively and saying um, that, uh, that <laughs> I can't even get the words out because it's so bizarre. Like, uh, Joe Biden should give Donald Trump a, a medal for representing the voice of the voiceless, the, these lunatics in MAGA are voiceless. Uh, anyway, when I saw that, I go, oh, he, I'm trying to put myself in the mind of Blago. He's trying to get something. He probably wants a pardon. You know what I mean? So he can really go on with his life, maybe run for office again, be a lawyer. I don't know. Uh, So I wouldn't be surprised if the Tiger King and Blago got pardoned in the next uh, 24 hours. Really a Molly crew of the supporters out there. We got we got a wide range from from Tiger King to Blago. Blago and, support. He hosted an event before the election here that was called Blacks for Trump, which is yeah. a very you know, troubling, problematic name for an event for the first place that could then be hosted by Blago. But it just it goes to show how absurd the whole situation is. No, but yeah, it is absurd. And then there'll be some really rich people who get pardoned. 
I mean, who could, who are probably paying Trump? Exactly. Uh, We're not going to know the names of the vast majority of the people uh, that will get pardoned. It will all be kind of political and uh, economic favors. Uh, all right. So uh, uh, going back uh, to McConnell's maneuver, and I could see it. One, pull a bandage off the wound with uh, an impeachment vote that um, – prevents Donald Trump from ever running again. So he's off of Twitter. He can't run again. The Republican Party can slowly begin the process taking back the party from Donald Trump. Uh, and then you're, you're absolutely correct. Just pivot and suddenly become uh, deficit hawks and oppose absolutely everything Joe Biden does. And then be, so you become the party of opposition. Uh, and that, I think, is probably what they figure is the best way out of it. Cut the tie with Trump and just start opposing everything that Biden does. That, is that your a sense of it? Well, the problem that they have is that if you, they've done these polls of Trump voters, of voters who just voted for Donald Trump, like, you know, a few weeks ago, and they ask them who are they, you know, hold allegiance to the Republican Party or Donald Trump. And the vast, vast majority say Donald Trump over the Republican Party. So how are you going to manage that? You know, it's, it, that's the question, I think, is whether this kind of the whatever 30 percent of the country or so that's just diehard Trump supporters if they're going to be willing to get back into the GOP bandwagon, because look, this was a record breaking election in terms of turnout. Donald Trump like activated and mobilized a lot of supporters that I don't think are necessarily would even come out for just a generic GOP candidate. I'm sure he turned off plenty of people too that ended up voting democratic, but that's the question. It's like, you're going to, they're going to be in uh, a poor situation, at least in comparison to the Democratic Party, either way, regardless of what they do. But I think that if they have any hope of kind of turning the page on this chapter, um, because look, Donald Trump, it was terrible. Like we all know this was a really bad, they don't even want to be seen with him tomorrow. He's doing this big send off thing. And, you know, Scaramucci said he can't make it. Pence can't make it. Uh, they were all invited there. Kevin McCarthy's not going. So nobody wants to be associated with this guy at all. He's at the worst, you know, level of popularity of this entire presidency He's toxic. So, uh, that said 74 million people voted for him. So then how do you, you know, kind of manage that if you're, you know, a, a power player and Republican politics. I don't know. Thankfully, that's not, nobody's asking my opinion. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I, I, I think the way to go for them uh, will be the way uh, that you said it. They'll go uh, immediately turn against everything Joe Biden proposes. So, all right, that gets to the second part of the equation. What should Joe Biden do? It's 50 to 50. He cannot afford to lose one vote in the Senate to pass initiatives. I'm not talking about executive orders. Uh, and it's also very close in the House. I can't forget. I can't remember the exact uh, breakdown. So what um, what do you think Joe Biden, Joe Biden should do? Well, I, I mean, I know not everyone agrees with this, and there will certainly be some pushback. I think it would be a, it would be a lot of arm um, pulling on uh, to, to Joe Manchin specifically, and even Kristen Sinema, these are kind of the two most conservative uh, Democrats in the Senate. Um, but you only need 51 votes to over to change the rules of the Senate. And so you can immediately get rid of the legislative filibuster. If you keep your caucus together, um, they you know did this before for judicial nominees, then McConnell did it for Supreme Court justices, so we could get you know, Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett through. So you can just ask with a majority vote uh, policies that you want to enact right now under Senate rules. Any senator can object, and then you have a filibuster, and you got to get 60 votes. 
they could immediately overturn that. And they've got some time now, you know, before any other elections are held, um, that if they can just pass a really comprehensive, bold agenda that's going to help working people, it's going to fulfill their campaign promises, it's going to build goodwill, and that will show what a page has been turned since the Trump years. You know, if they do things like a $15 minimum wage, which, I mean, get to his credit, Joe Biden made a forceful case for that and including it in the most immediate uh, relief bill. I think that that would be, it's an insanely popular policy. It passed in Florida, not exactly, you know, the bluest of places. Uh, so you do that kind of stuff, you start to win some credit. I think you've got people don't trust government and that for good reason, I think. And that's been ingrained for a long time. They don't want to, they don't see government as a vehicle for bettering their lives. They see it as an impediment. And partially that's because of ideology and messaging that has been pushed by uh, again, bad actors for a long time, but it's also because government has done a shit poor job of, you know, actually doing the, doing their job uh, uh, to, you know, be serving the people. And so the best way to kind of overturn that uh, frame of thinking is to do your job and, you know, do the things that the people uh, want you to do. And so infrastructure, I think will be huge. And that's one area that I think Joe Manchin can really be won over on. Um, look, there was a big thing under Obama that was, uh, Democrats said, we're not going to do any, um, uh, pork. We're going to cut all the pork out of the bills. Right. And these are kind of just little handouts to, uh, in representatives to make them, you know, help their constituents so that they can feel they won something out of the bill. Uh, under Obama, Democrats said, we don't want to do that anymore. We want, you know, good government, and all this stuff. Well, but then what you did what you, by doing that, then, you know, it's almost like aldermanic privilege or, or prerogative or something. You know, it's like you, if you take away the ability for representatives to help their constituents or at least feel like they get a win out of something, they're going to be less, way less likely to get behind your program. So I think Democrats should be willing to give Manchin all kinds of stuff to, you know, name stuff after him, build bridges in West Virginia, whatever, whatever you got to do to win over the support to get some bigger goals done. And that means, you know, tackling the climate crisis and of course means figuring out this uh, vaccine rollout because it's a complete mess right now and a disaster. So uh, doing that and then, you know, sending more money. Look, if there's a reason $2,000 checks are so popular because people are broke and they want money. And even if they're not totally broke, they could use some more money. So, and we've broken the seal. We've shown that government can do that, right? People already have their bank accounts set up so that they can get direct deposits. Just start doing that stuff. And I think that that's the way that the Democrats are going to win some support. I think it was stupid. I don't think it was, you know, super politically advantageous for Donald Trump to, uh, put his name on the checks. Like that was his big thing was you got to get my name on the checks and you know, delayed the rollout. But I think it was smart for him to claim credit for that. And I think that probably had something to do with all the support that he got in the election is because people associated him with getting money. And, you know, he got more working class support in, in 2020. So I think Democrats should take that lesson. And, you know, Obama, under Obama and the stimulus, then they tried to kind of secretly do all these tax relief plans that people didn't even know that they were getting. Democrats should claim that at every step and say, look, we're doing this in order to, to, to make your life better. So, I mean, there's a whole, I could go on and on and on, but I think that, you know, just be bold, right? And don't try to get 
you know, uh, sunk into the snake charming of uh, supposed bipartisanship because I don't really don't think there's much of a chance for that. I know that McConnell and Biden are like going to church together tomorrow or something. And they're trying to like, you know, be buddy, buddy. But I don't see the the strategy of the GOP changing one uh, one stitch uh, from when I, Obama was president. I missed that. I, I actually did miss that. The going to church part. I, I did. <laughs> so that's like they're substituting McConnell for Trump. Because the thing is, when you usually have the transition, uh, well, they don't go to church together, but, you know, the the incoming uh, president would meet, go to the White House and meet the outgoing president and their spouses would be there and they would ride together to the inauguration. Remember, I remember Obama doing that with uh, Trump and uh, Obama doing that with um, W and W doing that with Clinton, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, so now I guess as a substitute for Trump, he's going to meet with McConnell. Wow, what a weird, weird stuff. All right, we'll close with this question. Bernie's role in all this. Miles Kempflesson, as everybody knows, who listens to him on this show, big Bernie supporter, uh, as was I. I'm not dumping on Bernie just because he lost. Um, so what do you think Bernie's role is going to be uh, in the coming months? Well, he's got a a very influential role, in fact, because he's now because the Democrats won those um, uh, those races in Georgia. There's a whole I mean, the the landscape is very different than it was in 2009. In 2009, um, financial services committee, I think it was Chris Dodd, right, which is why it was the Dodd-Frank Act. And he is big, you know, credit card guy, centrist them. Now it's Sherrod Brown. The banking committee, I forget who it was um, before, but uh, it was another kind of centrist, a a debt hawk, actually, was the head of the budget committee when Obama came in. Now the head of the budget committee is going to be Bernie Sanders. And so from that role, he oversees the one area in American politics, or at least in congressional legislating, where you can use a 51 vote majority to pass big stuff, and that's budget reconciliation. It's a, you know, whatever, it's a kind of, you know, um, it's, it's got, it basically is a rule in which you can get things passed that you are reconciling the budget. Uh, and so you can do things that relate to budgetary measures. And that includes things like passing a $15 minimum wage. It includes things like sending out uh, survival checks. It includes all kinds of parts of the Biden economic program. So Bernie's going to be overseeing that. And I, my prediction is we'll see what happens, but my prediction is they'll do some play at trying to get nine Republicans to support this initial plan that Biden laid out last week, this $1.9 trillion immediate relief package. They say they're going to try to get it bipartisan. Not going to happen. No chance. They might get like one or two, maybe, but I doubt that. I think McConnell's going to be good at holding his caucus together. And then, you know, and then it's going to be up to Bernie to figure out how to get that through budget reconciliation. And I think that's immediately where they should pivot as soon as it's clear, like day one would be like, forget all that. How much can we do through this, mm-hmm. uh, this process? So I think that's a great role for Bernie because I mean, he, he made a, a play for labor secretary that didn't work out understandably. I mean, you, they need to keep their majority in the Senate for right now. 
Um, but as head of the budget committee, he can do a lot to improve working people's lives as much as he would have at, in the labor department. And I think we should ready ourselves for a very different, um, we should have different expectations of what government is going to do versus, look, we were all worried for four years there's going to be another like Muslim ban coming up or something. That's We're going to be operating in a different, um, you know, state of affairs now where it's going to be more on offense rather than worrying about horrible things that government can do. How do you push government to do the most they possibly can to fulfill the goals of the stuff even that that bernie ran on i mean biden says he wants to be the most progressive president since uh franklin delano roosevelt this is a prime time to uh, show that commitment and so uh, i think bernie's going to try to hold him to that i think bernie's supporters will have that expectation and so you know, it's up to Joey B to uh, to to come through. To, yeah. yeah. By the way, I'm I'm so happy that Bernie didn't get labor. I can't tell you. I was like, no, come on. You, being a part of the Biden team for Bernie Sanders was not a good fit. Uh, I love that he's to chair a budget. Much more, uh, in my opinion, power than being labor uh, secretary. Marty Walsh, I'm sure, will be a fine labor secretary. I'm hoping he'll be a fine labor secretary. So, yes, Bernie. I'm so happy. I know you burnt, you wanted it, apparently, uh, but I'm glad you didn't get it. All right, Miles, uh, thank you very much. We, uh, we, uh, we Miles, actually, well, pro- well, we, we did, and actually, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, I, I was going to ask a favor from you, Miles, if you didn't mind. Lay it on me. All right, cool. Uh, February 27th will be our two-year anniversary uh, oh, as a podcast. And what I'm having our guests do uh, is I'm having them, you know, like on the radio. Uh, Hi, you know, my name is Miles Campflasson. I'd ask you to do this. My name is Miles Campflasson, and uh, I want to wish the Ben Jarofsky Show a happy two-year anniversary. Would you be cool with doing something like that? Yeah. All right. Sure. Cool, cool. Right yeah, we'll do it right yes. now. I'll give you a countdown, and then you just say, hey, you know, it's Miles Campflasson. Say whatever you want, okay? Okay. Lay on. All right, cool. Here we go. Three, two, one. Go for it. Hey, everybody. This is Miles Camp Lassen, a writer and editor in these times magazine and a, a frequent guest of the Ben Garofsky show. Just want to wish uh, both Ben and Dr. T a very happy two years, um, a very vital source of information in this, uh, you know, troubled uh, time. And, you know, you can, you, there's very few media sources you can rely on for quality content the way you can from the Ben Garofsky show. So happy birthday. Oh, wow. Oh, man, that was really good. The guy, I saw him do it. He just whipped it. He didn't have, a, uh, he didn't have it written or anything. That was really sweet. That was really good. Oh, and hey, go Dolphins. <laughs> hey, I appreciate that. And I got to give a shout out because I told him that earlier. I finally watched the um, uh, great series, City So Real, and uh, was very happy to not only see uh, Ben Jarowski on the screen, but also heard Dr. Yeah, D. yeah. <laughs> I watched that the other day too and I'm like oh wow that's okay cool that's exactly how I'd want to be in a movie you can just hear me perfect yeah uh, and uh, no that uh, that was from the uh, shoot that was in the studio with Ricky Hendon dear friend of this show a former state senator Ricky Hendon and uh, that was back in the old days before I got fired at the radio station so yeah uh, Steve James we did a whole series on City So Real Miles we did um was it four or five parts? Uh, brought in different people who were from the show. I had Steve James on, Ricky Hendon was on, Mace Jackson was on, the Tuttons from the Hideout were on, uh, and Neil Salas Griffin was on. So I was, uh, I was really moved by that uh, TV show. I thought it was a great show, and I'm now urging everybody uh, to watch 
um, one night in Miami. We're going to do a whole series on that one as well. I've already started reaching out to guests. Really powerful show uh, about black men, basically. Uh, Sam Cooke. I mean, these are legends, icons. Jim Brown, Sam Cooke, Malcolm X, uh, and um, Muhammad Ali. How can I forget the great Muhammad Ali, my hero when I was a kid? So great. Regina King, man, what a great director. Great movie. Uh, so we're probably going to do a whole special on that. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm not in that movie. <laughs> so real. Uh, so anyway, Miles, stay safe, stay sound. We'll talk to you real soon. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. All right. That's a great Miles Confless. And uh, DNA updates before we head out that door. Uh, absolutely. I do. Once again, yes. Our uh, anniversary, two year anniversary, Ben. Happy anniversary. Thank you. The flowers are in the mail. Oh, wait, time out. We still have a month, right? Yeah. But Hey, come on. We're selling it here, pal. Come on. Uh, it's coming up. Fe- hey, bring Fe- those flowers back. Not for another month. Okay. February 27th. Uh, put it in the freezer like that cake from. <laughs> oh, my God. The cake. Get that. <laughs> it's going to be on February 27th. That's on a Saturday. We're going to drop a special uh, two-year anniversary show. Uh, I got some stuff in mind, so be on the lookout for that all right you were just talking about city so real let's go to city so weird <laughs> i'm talking about the weirdness in winnetka oh yes thank you oh my god i forgot i said don't <laughs> i forgot it yes the following comes from the chicago sun times oh god matthew hendrickson and apparently a bunch of others <laughs> A North Suburban clothing shop that installed a QAnon-themed window display last spring is owned by the wife of the CEO of At Properties, the real estate firm that fired an agent who attended the March to Save America that devolved into a riot in the nation's capital. The company announced it was immediately terminating the agent, Libby McCarthan Andrews, over social media posts she made about, quote, storming the Capitol for President Donald Trump on January 6th in Washington, D.C. Yeah, so much to uh, discuss here. I want to give a shout out to Matthew Hendrickson. Great job. I used to do stories like this all the time, D. These bizarre, we call them neighborhood news. Uh, every now and then I would venture out of the city, but mostly it was in Chicago. Just strange stories about Chicago. Uh, Well, they weren't always strange, but uh, stories that kind of reveal the side of Chicago or the neighborhood or the personalities, the quirky people that live in Chicago. This is a classic uh, story of what? uh, Do as I say, not as I do. Uh, (laughs) It's why, you know, when I try to think about a logic that would govern somebody to join uh, the Trump cult, uh, it would be how unfair and inconsistent the world is. And this story just sums it all up. Uh, as we all know, QAnon is the, the whacked out weirdo uh, political movement of sorts that, uh, what, what is it? How do I say it? They, they believe that there's a secret satanic cult of pedophiles who are controlling government and that Donald Trump is the chief of resistance. I just want to point out that Donnie Trump was good friends with Jeffrey Epstein. Okay, so it's whacked out on that front right there. I mean, it's so bizarre to think that a significant number of Americans have signed on to that. I 
At the same time, I've been living a long time. I've seen all kinds of cults come and go. I've seen all kinds of weirdo movements come and go. So I shouldn't be surprised by anything. But this is a real political force. Some of the people who stormed the Capitol last week were QAnon uh, supporters. I think there's at least one congressperson that got elected. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene is an advocate of QAnon. So it's out there. It's potent. It's real. And apparently, apparently the woman who's married to the head of Bad Properties uh, is a believer in it. I say apparently because it's one of these things, D. One of these, like, you, if you're rich, you get a spokesperson to cover it all up for you. So uh, the head of uh, Ad, Ad Properties is everybody. I don't know if you know this, but they're like the biggest real estate company or one of the big real estate companies uh, in the Chicagoland area. You know, a little Ad thing, properties, a little Ad thing. And anyway, uh, they're everywhere. They're powerful. Uh, and uh, so the wife of the owner uh, runs a boutique in uh, Winnetka fashion store. Now, Winnetka, I'm going to help you out here. For our geographically challenged listeners, it's a suburb, a really rich suburb uh, north of Chicago. So I will now do it. It's Evanston. Oh. We'll met. Nice. I believe Kenilworth and then Winnetka. I believe that's the lineup. Yeah. I think it is. The thing is, is like, it's kind of a weird thing. I am North Shore. I moved to Evanston when I was in sixth grade. And I lived in Evanston throughout high school. So I know the North Shore, but I always get mixed up. Winnetka and Kenilworth, like which one is next? You know what I'm saying? They got some issues with that. I got to really work that out. I think it goes Winnetka, then Kenilworth. I think Will met Winnetka, Kenilworth. I could be yeah. wrong. <laughs> Definitely you're not North Shore. You're from Alton. I ride my bike around I'm there all North the time. North Shore guy. Uh, Dennis, I went to Evanston High School, okay? Very proud of that fact. And I passed freshman algebra. A stunning moment in my academic career. Anyway, so, you know, it's like Gentile, Winnetka. You get this notion that people in Winnetka would not like Donald Trump. No, this lady's got this boutique. She's it's the a theme display, QAnon theme display, with a mannequin with a QAnon hat. Like, why did she? Why did she think that was appropriate? So anyway, she they get caught. Now, as Dennis pointed out, the inconsistencies of the world. Some uh, real estate agent got. With, uh, who was at the insurrection, got fired, right? Isn't that what you said, D? Uh, and um, so they fired the real estate agent. Meanwhile, the boss's wife with the QAnon thing, hello, little inconsistent there. Here's the official statement from the media representative. They have a spokesperson, okay, D? I'm going to get a spokesperson whenever the media calls me. I'm gonna, you're going to be my spokesperson, all right? All, all questions will go through Dr. D. Uh, I think you could do a better job than the spokesperson. The spokesperson pointed out to post, spokesman pointed to post uh, that Kelly Golden, that's the uh, CEO's wife, made on social media, which she said a friend of a friend asked her to display the information and gave her the QAnon braces. She said she did not know the theory's origins, but displayed the information anyway. An acquaintance introduced me to someone and they asked if I would put this sign in my in one of my windows 
the day we had to close our shop, I trusted the simplicity of the statement, remain calm, which is a QAnon statement, during the unprecedented time. I don't know, Dee, what do you think? Do you buy that? Do you think that she really didn't know that she was putting up some QAnon stuff? It's kind of throwing that, throwing that friend under the bus. Isn't that the thing? That just, <laughs> the unnamed friend. I don't, you know, D, it's like one of those things. Did Lori Lightfoot not really know about Anjanette Young? Like she said she did in her press statement. You know, did Johnny Canizera, the fraternal order police, not really know the full extent of what was going down at the Capitol when he told the reporter from BEZ, oh, come on, it's just a bunch of guys having fun. You know, did Bruce Rauner really cry when the verdict came in on Laquan McDonald? Okay, these are just some of the things. They say stuff and you got to wonder, is it true? You know, did Rahm Emanuel never see the Laquan McDonald video? First time I ever heard of it. Ah, D, I don't know. We live in a time where truth, it's hard to, it's like a huge chunk of the Republican Party believes that Donald Trump actually won the election that he obviously lost. So it's really hard to know what's true when everybody's lying all the time or believing lies. I just, I, just, I don't know. I, I, I saw this story and I just thought so many things. Number one, like wealth can buy you a lot. And so it can buy you respectability. So all these people out of Winnetka, I wonder how many QAnon supporters are out in Winnetka. You know, they don't make fun of people from Winnetka like they make fun of Trump voters from downstate. But apparently, they think it's really cool, the QAnon hat. You know, wow, it's really hip style. And my, the mannequin is so skinny. Do you see the picture? Like, they're, I okay, I admit, I don't, I'm not really into fashion. Yeah. But just like, they're really sort of, I mean, this notion, it's like she's bulimic or something. Wow, there's some kind of weird thing going on in Winneka clothing shops. Well, I've never, I don't know if I've ever seen a fat mannequin. I like a mannequin with a little, you know, at least suggests that there's a little chunkiness there, okay? That's how most people are. No, not in Winneka. We're all skinny. We're all super thin and in great shape because we do yoga every minute of the day and then starve ourselves. Hmm. We live in Winnetka, which is the suburb just north of Wilmette. We're even richer than the people in Wilmette. Uh-oh, people are going to know, wait a minute, is Wilmette, is Winnetka where Rahm Emanuel came from? Good question, listeners. The answer is no. Former mayor of the city of Chicago is from Wilmette, not Winnetka. Thank you for asking. See how he does that, guys, where he's like <laughs> talking to himself, but like talking to you too. It's pretty cool, right? <laughs> I'm as nuts, nutty as those QAnon supporters. I talk to myself. Hi, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are you doing? Really good. I'm going to sing a song to myself. Okay. Ladies I'm going to have a mansionary phone conversation with Phyllis. Hi, Phyllis. Good, man. <laughs> no, I'm just saying we're a bunch of hypocrites. They promise oh, they won't tax retirement income if their constitutional amendment passes. it. like four Phyllises today. <laughs> Phyllis. Heck of a job, Phyllis, of course. Retiree from, I don't know, Park Ridge. <laughs> Help defeat the fair tax. Heck of a job, fellas. Good yeah, job. Yeah, so and good job, all you voters on the Northwest side, for voting against it because you heard a fellas commercial. Yeah, so, ladies and gentlemen, someone in Winnetka has those documents. That is the latest <laughs> in the weirdness.
in Winnetka. Yeah. And no, uh, no live stream, no live stream chat listener, Doogie. I didn't drive, ride my bike around Lake Michigan. That was Mayor Rom. I just biked around Lake Michigan, nearly a thousand miles. Okay. <laughs> that's today's show. Uh, that's today's show, guys. Make sure to follow us online at Benny J Show, B E N N Y, the letter J Show, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always send us an email, Benny J Show at gmail.com. And yes, we have a phone number, 708 658 4788. That number again is 708 658 4788. 788. You can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com and wherever else you download podcasts. And hey, if you download, check us out on the live stream chat sometimes, uh, Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time, Chicago Reader YouTube channel. I want to thank Miles Conflesson, the part enjoy Whitney Young, uh, in these times, ace editor, reporter, great job as he always does, and of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of all Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And it's Miles Conflesson, Phyllis, and all the QAnon supporters who in that club will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Just biked around Lake Michigan, nearly a thousand miles. Nearly a thousand miles. Nearly a thousand miles. I just biked around Lake Michigan. Nearly a thousand miles.